0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: Hello, I'm Anif Baharuddin, and you're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, we're going to have a chat about the effort that goes into preserving heritage buildings. Heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa is a regular on the show talking about the various heritage buildings that are available in KL and in Malaysia and the importance of preserving them. But we have not actually had a chat about how she goes about her job, especially the kind of conversations that she has to have with the various stakeholders that will be making the decision on whether to keep or demolish these buildings. And to be fair, the decision is not that easy to make as well as there are various factors that need to be considered. Here she is walking us through that process.
0: I think, yeah... It's a it's a very difficult conversation um, because you you know you you if you come to the table and you know you on the one hand say it's really important and it must be kept that's it I don't want to listen to anything else and the other side will say look I can make so much more money um, if I if it goes um, and then you don't want to listen to anything else so so I think in the first place um, one has to come to it with an open mind um, and to weigh, you know, the the opportunities, um, the difficulties, and to see what the financial considerations are, not just the immediate, how much do I gain direct money into my pocket, against um, how much am I going to continue to have to spend to maintain it, to upgrade it, to continue to make it viable. Um, and Also, to consider in this day and age, you know, whether demolition is the best recourse. Because one thing that is very difficult to quantify um, has to do with this sense of character and identity of place. And you cannot put a dollar value on it. So, take away um, all the buildings around Dataran Merdeka. Um, Forget about the tourists coming there. Right? Forget about uh them um being able to say, oh, this is uh, you know, if I go to KL, what do I see? Um, okay, so shopping, eating, right? Um great, that's wonderful, but is that the only thing that KL has to offer? You know, so what else does it so why don't I go to Singapore or Bangkok? You know, why do I want to come to KL if I'm just doing shopping and eating? Um, what additional uh flavors, so to speak, can it offer? What additional values can it offer? What additional assets? And then that's where you come down to culture and heritage. And certainly the physical space, the way it is composed is, is a good part of it, you know, this the sense and the understanding of, of character and If you go to any big city, anywhere in the world, including Singapore and Bangkok, you know, you will have the old and in some cases, the ancient, and that's contrasted with the new and the very modern. And it is that contrast that people come back and people who live in the area will want to explore and enjoy because... It is not monotonous. You know, we we, we all look for not just embellishments, but we look for many different levels and ranges of of, uh, the way we experience a place. And by making everything kind of like, you know, look 21st century um, in look, uh, you know, sometimes a place will ultimately lose its appeal. So that's one argument on the side of um, heritage, and then it's a question then of saying, "Oh, you mean must keep everything?" Ah, you know that there, there's always that question. You know, are you, um, which I'm constantly being asked, are you a purist? You know, well, no, it's not about whether you're a purist or not. It is about having this conversation and assessing something with an open mind, and sometimes things can uh, be changed and added to. And if you think about, I go back to schools, if you think about St. John's, for example, St. John's Institution and Victoria Institution um, in of, of uh, near Stadium Merdeka, you know, um, on Bukit Daling, that the, the schools, you had the original block, 1927, and then you had a new block and a new block and different parts of, you know, it was added to over the years and so what we look at from a design point of view is whether or not they sit in harmony with each other or they're kind of like a bit like a sore thumb and that is always a a question of aesthetics and an argument that you have but nevertheless if you didn't have the contrast you wouldn't be you wouldn't even be having a conversation to begin with you know so I think it, it, it's quite, it really is a process. It really is trying to make out that we have a, um, and that it, there is this continuity of, of discourse. I think that that's very important. And so it's not a one answer for everything. It is having a conversation. It is being open to seeing the old and the new live cheek by jowl, I think is, is the word. And it doesn't mean that everything new is good. And it doesn't mean that everything old is good. It doesn't mean that everything new is bad and everything old is bad, you know? It's not it's not a one answer for everything.
1: Mm, all right. How do you then present that argument to the decision makers? Especially when they have to weigh all these, you know, all these considerations, right? Um, how do you go about Presenting your argument for a building to be preserved, uh, especially if it's privately owned,
0: provided um, people are willing to listen. I think so. One one argument, um, and and I'll give you one example. So, for example, in Brickfields, um, what used to be what was called the Hundred Quarters. Okay, that there were one hundred pintu, one hundred houses. They're very simple, two-story, small um, units um, that were basically housing for civil servants, um, clerical staff, lower grade, you know, not, not the pengarah of the departments, but let's say, you know, other other staff, people who were working in the civil service that, that were able to rent um, these houses um, that were provided because at the at You know, there was a time when within the civil service, one of your perks was to be able to get housing uh, provided for you um, at really quite a good uh, rental rate, right? That came off your salary. So it was now from 100 houses on three or four streets, you now have a development which is 1,400 over Uh, apartments in three blocks in that same area. So you go from effectively, even if you say four or five people per household uh, for a hundred houses, you're talking about 500 people, uh, okay? To a situation where with 1,400 pintu, Uh, new apartments in that area, even if you reduce the number to 3 people per household your population density has gone way over the top now it's okay it's great for if you're able to have the infrastructure that uh delivers to you know that can provide for so you have the roads the parking the the shops around there that will uh benefit from a wider, or you know, a more, an intense uh, growth in population, assuming that they will shop there. Um, but you have what happens to the schools in the neighbourhood? Uh, do you need more schools, or you know, or will the schools disappear because the families have moved out who had children, um, and now you have people who are living in these places that are more, uh, you know. Uh, People who may not have families, who have school-going kids, um, you have you have a different set, a different demographic that you, you're dealing with, right? Um, your roads, you know, can they? It's already a congested area. This where this is uh, located, so you, you know, increase the population density, if nothing else, by thousands you know your, your population density has just you know gone up 3 4 times in an already congested area now so is it good for the area is it good for um people of course uh government this was government land yeah um that was then sold to a private developer so then the question is you know who benefits um the it was a neighborhood people used uh, you know lots of local mum and pup stops shops you know i mean it was it was really a sort of a, a that there were people who knew each other that there when it was it was a changing neighborhood there were a lot of changes happening there because of what was happening across the street from it uh, with the redevelopment of uh, KL Central but it was still um livable Now, as soon as you sort of bring in new people uh, who may have different needs and different wants, who would buy different things, they have different um, shopping ideals or needs, the the area around that is going to change quite dramatically. So you really need to be able to understand that. How do you argue against it? With difficulty, because at the end of the day, very often here... The argument is I can make so much money from the sale of this land, and that's what counts. But if the, you know, your 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 benefit is only seen as financial, it's not even economic, it's financial. Um, dollars and cents. Think about it the other way around. Well, the dollars and cents only come that one time. You make your sale, that's it. That's where you 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 know you made a sale you made a profit so it's a hit and run right. In the long term, what happens to the area? Is that what you want? You know, for the whole character, not only the character to change, but for the whole kind of like neighborhood dynamic to change the 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 feeling of of the 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 character of the area. These are decisions that should. Be considered and are very often not considered and I think that that really is the struggle when it comes to to heritage I don't have any answers but I'm just saying that you know especially in urban centers like KL PJ you know all these big bigger urban um old you know that have the old um that's that's where the pressures are then you have little towns outside of um Uh, the main urban centers, which have a different set of problems because they have an outgoing of populations. You know, I mean, the the young move out, the the older remain. Um, The places get abandoned because nobody wants to either live there or take over. And so then the question again is, you know, how do you maintain a, a place if it's just there because you feel nostalgic? So really, I think we do need to have a whole new tax brief. I mean, <laughs> you know, a whole new way of thinking about how we support um, heritage and culture um, for the mental and, you know, uh, cultural betterment, social well-being of uh, society, not just about um, you know the the do I have enough money in my pocket? We never have enough money in our pocket. We could be millionaires and we' still never. I'm not a millionaire. You're not a millionaire. You know, um, you know we will always never have enough money in our pocket, so to speak. Not not enough. Meaning there's always somebody who'll be better off than us. There's always someone who, will, but there's also on on you know the corollary of that is of course there's always. Someone who is less well off than we are, in in all sorts of ways. So it is about finding that balance. And do you create this change? And how do you actually? It has to be led by government. I'm I'm really that the, the way it works in Malaysia is it has to be led. It has to be demonstrated by government, just not speak, but actual money and and small amounts of money, little trickles of money don't work. You, you know, there has to be a concerted policy. There has to be tax breaks to encourage people to give opportunities to, to, to retain rather than, and and to change and to make this change, uh, maybe incremental change, um, as opposed to dramatic one day in, the next day out kind of change, um, you know, and, and not to have any arguments. I mean, why can't there be economic policies that allow for someone who wants to retain something um, and to support them for something which is, you know, has heritage value to a particular area. Why not? I mean, if we can do it for industry, you know, if we can give benefits to, uh, you know, new industry, you want to come in here, you know, set up your 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 shop, your factory, your whatever, why can't we see heritage as an economic driver as well you know why can't we we as, as a nation as, as you know our our tax and our financial institutions understand that heritage can have value and it may not be something that will be straight away demonstrated but why not? why is it not ever considered to be something which is has potential? In this budget.
1: That was our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa sharing what it's like to convince various stakeholders on the importance of preserving heritage buildings. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin, and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today is our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa. And we've been having a conversation about how she goes about her work and the kind of chats she has to have with the various stakeholders to convince them of the importance of preserving heritage buildings. We're going to continue the chat by looking at the success stories that do happen in this line of work. There are also, you know, successful stories of. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of buildings in KL that have been preserved as well. So, um, what are the secrets behind those buildings? You know, um, apart from just the literal, you know, the recognition of the values of these buildings, you know, were there like, yeah, more concerted effort? You know, how how did we manage to keep, you know, a lot of these buildings around as well?
0: I think uh, in in. Um Let's take Central Market as, as an example of um, where KL really, like where the early start, you know. Um, and it was meant to be demolished. There was meant to be a tower block there. Um, it was, you know, I mean, it was a wet market. There, there was a lot of traffic congestion. There was, you know, there were issues related to To health and safety, there were issues related to hygiene, you know, and sanitation. There were lots and lots and lots of issues, right? So the wet market was going to be moved. So then what? What happens to this old building? And really, there was a group of people who, you know, wanted to demonstrate that heritage had a value. Old buildings had a value. Um, And it was possible to repurpose something and make it economically viable. Um, and over the years, I think it has been demonstrated that, you know, for, for greater or lesser uh, x ex- to a greater or less extent, but it certainly has been demonstrated that central market is now a go-to, whether it is for tourists or whether it's, you know, so it is seen as a place that is on the map, so to speak, um, that then brings in, you know, uh, it has an economic return and it may not have you know, an economic return times ten. It may have an economic return times three. You know, or whatever. I mean, I I don't have figures, huh? so I'm just I'm not quoting it as an example. But I'm saying it has to have enough of a return to make it sustainable, to make it economically viable. Um, and how do you go about and why? You know, did even I think it was really an opportune time where people were able to convince the powers that be at that time, uh the, the then prime minister um was able to you know to be said look this is an opportunity for care let's try it and um and it was successful and it was it was then seen as successful because there was a plan going forward I look at this building I know what I can do with it I know how I can repurpose it. I know what I can do internally to create, you know, more space and retail space and the kind of retail space that I want. Um, I condition it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, promote it, uh, market it for, for, for events and other things like that. Um, and there was a plan and there was a strategy and, and it was put into place because it was being managed in a way that put, because before you even started, you doing the work you know you looked at the, the the all of these aspects of it part of the problem I think um is where when it fails it's because you kind of go let's keep it but you haven't figured out what you're gonna do with it how are you gonna keep it going you know so it's like oh it's really important which is probably true it's really important you know uh it has these architectural values, it has these social values, it has these um, historical values, whatever. Um, Let's keep it. We need to keep it because you just want to feel precious about it. But you haven't really thought about all the other aspects of it. So you go and you keep it and you make turn it into a museum and then you don't market it or your exhibits are not attractive enough or uh, you haven't put in the money or the marketing, or the the you know the the preliminary um, thinking behind it to make it reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have if you're a private uh, a private owner, you don't have the 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 financial um, perks. Let's say you know tax breaks etc. That encourage you to do it. But I think that where it has worked on the private level um, have been with smaller scale projects. Uh, in KL, um, shop houses, you know, other kinds of places which have become gentrified, have uh, retained either their their old use or have a new tenant in it uh, that caters for an audience uh, which is, um, you know, has a certain amount of, uh, you know, spending power uh, to go to uh, and where the where you've looked at it from a point of view of um, you know you've done your sums basically right and renovated enough to keep the the character and the spirit of of what it was Um and in some cases you know to a great extent in some cases to a less extent but nevertheless uh, you know, there are many of these examples. I won't name them, but you know, there are many examples around town. Um, and if you look at areas, you know, areas in let's say Chinatown, even in Bukit Bintan places like that that have uh managed to capture yeah, the the essence of these places, um, the old buildings. Uh, and adapted them and used them, and they have been marketed, and they are popular, and um because they're popular, being promoted, and you know, or maybe they have a good patron because somebody says, "Okay, I'm going to keep it for the benefit of uh, the right yeah there there are you know people who are quite philanthropic in that in that sense as well. um you know, I'm going to adapt to an old railway yard into something that um, other people enjoy. I might retain a park for that reason. I might give you back a park, uh, you know, that was your padang um, that, you know, I'm building in and around the area, but I'm going to bring back the old shops into this place. That's when, you know, when you are thinking about it, if you include and you think about, What gave it its value in the first place? Um, And the successful, I think the more successful places have been those that have considered the the history, um, the heritage and the character of what it used to provide and brought it forward into the modern era. And uh, you know, and they don't have to be a hundred years old. Uh, they can be fifty years old. They can be, you know, something that was built in uh, 1957 um, is actually today's heritage. If you think about it.
1: Yeah, uh, we have to we have to end the conversation soon. But I think just to piggyback on what you said just now. Maybe that's the way moving forward, right? I think because to be fair, I think these days there are a lot more awareness when it comes to preserving local heritage and it's not just... I I, I don't think it, it falls on the shoulders of NGOs anymore, right? I think a lot of people, for better or worse, I know, I mean, that topic itself yeah, is so pretty yeah. contentious because the word I use is now gentrification, right? It also became... It can be a bit controversial here and there, but at the end of the day, at least there are attempts at trying to preserve yeah, our heritage yeah. in that sense, right? So, um. Do you see this becoming the trend moving forward? You know, the democratization of, I guess, preservation of heritage to an extent? I mean, regardless of how they go about it, one way or another.
0: I, I think it's really important. I mean, I think the fact that, that you know, it shouldn't just be left to, to NGOs to bring this forward. It shouldn't just be left to the professionals. It should be a, a, a situation where the general public, you know, you, the individual, will say, hey, wait a minute, this is important to me, you know. And gentrification is not a bad word, by the way, you know, uh, when you when you gentrify a place. it, it uh, Everything has been gentrified. If you think about it, okay, a uh, hundred years ago, you know, it was this kind of a kadai, right? And then, uh, you know, the next generation that took it over will still keep it as a kadai, but that particular kadai might have a, a new look. You know, uh, it might have been selling, uh, you know, stone, I I don't know, you know, pots and pans before. And now it's selling pots and pans still, but maybe, uh, you know, to more modern or, you know, more updated use, you know. So that's gentrification, you know. So gentrification is not a bad word. But gentrification alone, uh, that doesn't include... Um, that means you physically gentrify a space, but you don't include the the spiritual, cultural, social uh, parts of what there is around you um, of of its history, and that's when it you know starts running into a, a few problems. But yeah, I think it's wonderful that that there's so much more conversation about it now. You know, you read about it. And and yeah, so maybe some of it is a bit misplaced, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, as you said, it's out there. You know, people are talking about it and people are writing about it and people are responding to it. And so now I think it's more a question of, Uh, becoming empowered and this is part of democratizing society per se feeling empowered uh to do something about your space your small um area your your area of influence um however big or small it may be and i think that that's kind of something we are moving toward takes a long time but you know i think that social media has helped to some extent uh what i think what is important i think though is that you know you kind of have to think a little bit more rather than just sort of go oh well it is um what's the word for it um you know when something is just fashionable for a while uh if if it really has legs if it really has value um it won't only be about what is fashionable. It should be about what is important, what is uh, what values it brings. So the nilai, you know, behind it, what is the semangat of it? You know, what is it's it's it, the pusaka, you know, in, in that sense, what does it bring? These are all, you know, I, I, always, I always think these words actually convey what's the spirit of it, you know, what, what is its soul? And I think that that, if we can remember it, uh, and consider that in this argument about whether to keep or to change, um, and change is inevitable. We wake up in the morning, we're a day older, okay? <laughs> so, change is not something that will go away. You know? So, we might as well embrace it. But to change it thoughtfully, to change it environmentally uh, sensitively, I think that that's that's something we should always consider.
1: You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa has been talking about her work preserving heritage buildings and the conversations she's had with various stakeholders That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL If you miss any part of the show you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl Our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and you can also now find our podcast on Spotify Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio My name is Anif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station You have been listening to a
0: podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app